نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يبقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما Today inshallah we'll begin from باب يبدي ضبعيه ويجافي في السجود So these abwab are about sujood and we learned about the fadl, the excellence of sajda that what is the benefit of it And what is the benefit? That this is an act of worship that will be a source of protection for a person from the hellfire. The very parts of the body on which a person prostrates, they will be protected against the hellfire in the sense that even if a person does go to hell, then the fire is forbidden from consuming the parts on which a person prostrates. So the fire will not consume the forehead, it will not consume the nose, it will not consume the hands of a person, the knees of a person, as well as the feet of the person. Why? Because a person humbles himself before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on these parts, so these parts will be saved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sajda, this shows to us that we must do it properly. Right? That all of these parts must be touching the ground when a person is doing sajda. Because otherwise a sajda is not complete. So how is it that sajda should be done? This is what we're going to be learning about now. So bab yubdi dab'aihi. Yubdi. What does it mean? Ma tubduna bada ibda to reveal, to show. So yubdi, he should show, he should expose what? Dab'aihi. His You can say his armpits. وَيُجَافِي And he should keep away, okay, meaning he should separate فِالسُّجُود In the sujood. What does it mean? Dhabr is basically the part which is beneath the armpit. Or you can say it's the middle part of the upper arm. Okay? So the middle part of the upper arm, okay? So the inner part of it, what is that part? It is beneath the armpit. Okay, so this part is called dabr. Now, yubdi dabaihi. How is it that the, this inner part can be exposed? If the arm is touching the side of the body? No. When it is separated. Okay, so yubdi dabaihi. The musalli, the person who is praying the salah, he should make sure that his arm, his upper arm is away from his body, such that, you know, the inner part, it can be seen. Okay. And وَيُجَافِي فِي السُّجُودِ يُجَافِي تَتَجَافَى What does it mean? To keep away. Right? So he should keep his arms away, meaning from his body, in the sujood. حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَى بْنُ بُكَيْرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي بَكْرُ بْنُ مُضَى عَنْ جَعْفَرْ عَنْ ابْنِ هُرْمُزَى عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ مَالِكٍ ابْنِ بُحَيْنَةَ أَنَّ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Farraja. What does it mean? It's to create a gap. Okay? Because farj is what? A gap. So farraja. He would make a gap, meaning he would separate, he would spread out. Baina yadayhi, meaning between his arm, meaning farraja baina yadayhi, meaning he would keep his arm away. Hatta until yabdua, it would reveal, it would be exposed. What? Bayadu ibtayhi. The whiteness of his two ibtay. What is ibt? Ibt is the armpit. 
ہے وقال اللہ حدثنی جعفر ابن ربیعت نحو سو وٹ از اس حدیث شو ٹو اس دیٹ ہاؤ اے پرسن شوڈ بی ڈوئنگ سجدہ وٹ ہز پوزیشن مسٹ بی آبویسلی دا ہینڈز آر آن دا گراؤنڈ اینڈ بٹوین دا ٹو ہینڈز از دا ہیڈ آلسو رائٹ دا فیٹ دا نیز دے آر آلسو ٹچنگ دا گراؤنڈ سو ہاؤ شوڈ دی اپر باڈی بی دا آرمس شوڈ ناٹ بی ٹچنگ دا سائڈ آف دا باڈی رائٹ دے شوڈ بی کیپٹ اوے دا پروفٹ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم ہی ووڈ ڈو سچ دا ہی ووڈ کیپ اے گیپ سو مچ سو دیٹ دا وائٹنس آف ہز آرم پٹس اٹ کوڈ بی سی نو پرسن مائی ونڈر ہاؤ یو سی ایٹ دیٹ ٹائم دا پیپل واٹ کائنڈ آف کلوتھس ود دا ویئر لوس اوکے سو فار ایگزامپل آن دا اپر باڈی اے شال ووڈ بی وارن اینڈ ڈیورنگ دا پریئر اے مین از ریکوائرڈ ٹو کور بوتھ ہز شولڈرس which is why you may have seen that when a person is doing hajj or umrah and they're wearing the ihram when the time for prayer comes what are they required to do cover both their shoulders okay so when a person is wrapping up his upper body with a shawl when he will go into sajda and his arms are away from the sides of the body what will happen you can see right you can see so the whiteness of his armpits could be seen so this shows to us that uh what is first of all what is under the shoulder meaning th- that that is not part of aura that that is not aura it may be seen and secondly we see that a person must do such that in such a way that uh, the body must not be bunched up together okay the body must not be bunched up together sheikh bin urthaymin he said you should do sujood in a level way not bunched up tight so that the stomach rests on the thighs and the thighs on the calves and not stretched out as some people do when they prostrate so that they're almost lying on their fronts meaning a person must avoid extremes so what's the sunnah that the arms should be kept away and at the same time the thighs you know the, uh, uh, they should also be separated from the stomach okay so the thighs should be not touching the stomach and at the same time the arms must not be touching the sides of the body so is it clear so next time you're doing sajda keep this in mind okay inshallah bab yastaqbilu bi atrafi rijlayhi alqiblata yastaqbilu he should face bi atrafi with the edges rijlayhi of his feet what should he face with the edges of his feet al qibla the qibla the edges of his feet what are the edges of your feet your toes okay they should also face the qibla when during the salah now obviously when a person is standing in prayer then his feet are straight so naturally the toes are going to face the qibla when a person is in rukur same thing But when a person goes into sajda, then how should the feet be? How should the feet be? That the feet should be resting on the toes. Such that the toes are facing the qibla. Many times it happens that when a person is doing sajda, they just leave their feet kind of loose. Okay? So sometimes the toes are, you know, pointing towards the back. Okay? And other times they're just straight down. Okay? Meaning the toes are touching the ground. Okay? Meaning the tips of the toes are touching the ground. But that's not the correct way. They should be tucked in such a way that they are facing the Qibla. Okay? This is when the sajda is complete. قَالَ أَبُوْ حُمَيْدِ نِسَاعِدِيُّ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ أَبُوْ حُمَيْدِ سَاعِدِيُّ reported this from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and this hadith will come later. It will be mentioned in detail afterwards. بَابْ إِذَا لَمْ يُتِمَّ السُّجُودِ When sajda is not done correctly. 
حدثنا الصلت بن محمد قال حدثنا مهدي عن واصل عن ابي وائل عن حذيفه راى رجلا لا يتم ركوعه ولا سجوده ذات حذيفه هي سا ا مان هو واز نوت كومبليتينج هيز ركوع نور هيز سجود فلما قضى صلاته ذن وين ذات مان كومبليتد هيز برير قال له حذيفه حذيفه ستهم ما صليت يو هاف نوت بيرفورم ذا برير قال واحسبه قال ذا نايتر سيد اي ثينك هي سيد ولو مت مت على غير سنه محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ان اف يو ور تو داي meaning while you perform salah like this then you would die on other than the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam meaning you're not following the sunnah so you better uh, perform your sujood and your ruku' properly we read this hadith earlier also a slightly different version similar wordings but different so this shows to us that while ruku' should be performed properly sujood must also be performed properly and proper proper sujood means that first of all arms should not be touching the sides of the body secondly feet should be placed in such a way that the toes are facing the qibla all right and thirdly what we are going to learn next which is bab as-sujudi ala sab'ati a'dhum performing the sujood on seven a'dhum a'dhum this is a plural of a'dhum idham what are these bones meaning all seven bones or limbs should be touching the ground when you're doing qiyam you're doing qiyam on what on your feet ruku' is also where on the feet but sujood is on seven bones and all seven of them must be touching the ground and touching meaning they should be resting on the ground firmly firmly resting on the ground such that the weight of a person is equally distributed on all of them not that the entire weight is concentrated on the head on the forehead so that when a person gets up you know he feels this pressure on the head likewise the entire pressure should not be on the hands likewise the entire pressure should not be on the feet or on the knees it should be equally distributed and this is something very important you know even when you're exercising right what is emphasized that if it hurts somewhere then you're not doing it right because it should not hurt if you, if it's hurting then that means you need to reposition yourself you need to redistribute the weight in your body okay so likewise in sujood the so sujood must be done on all seven limbs on all seven bones sorry and uh, this means that the sajda will be balanced okay and a person will be able to perform sajda easily easily why is it that sometimes we get tired in the prayer because we're not performing it correctly حدثنا قبيصه قال حدثنا سفيان عن عمرو بن دينار عن طاووس عن ابن عباس امر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ابن عباس said that the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was commanded commanded by who الله سبحانه وتعالى ان يسجد that he should prostrate على سبعه اعضاء on seven اعضاء اعضاء is a plural of عضو and عضو is part of the body limb of the body right so he was told to perform sajda on seven parts of the body meaning seven bones wala yakuffa sha'ran and that he should not gather up the hair wala thawban nor the clothes what are those seven parts of the body on which sajda should be done al jabha what is jabha forehead wal yadain the two hands meaning the palms wal rukbataini and the two knees 
وَرِجْلَيْنِ And the two feet. Now with regards to this issue of not gathering up the hair and the clothes, inshallah we'll discuss that later. Separate Abu Ab will come on this topic. Right now the focus is sajda on seven limbs. Now, first of all, jabha. Jabha is what? Your forehead. So this means that the forehead must be placed on the ground. So the forehead must be touching the ground. Sometimes what we do is that just the tip of the head is touching the ground. That is not correct. Sajda should be done in such a way that the entire forehead is laying flat on the ground. Flat on the ground. Okay? Secondly, yadain, The hands. What does it mean? That just the, the tips of the fingers and the end of the hand, meaning the end of the palm, that should be touching? So like loosely place it like this? No. Flat. Such that the entire hand is touching the ground, including the palm, including the fingers. Okay? Then, rukbatain, knees. Not that a person's right knee is slightly above the ground or left knee is slightly above the ground. No. وَرِجْلَيْنِ And both the feet. And we learned that earlier how? That the toes should be facing the qibla. Now if a person is doing sajda in this way, he can only do it if he has itma'neena. Right? If he becomes still. Because when is it that we don't do sajda properly? When we're in a rush. When we're just going down, you know, waiting to get up quickly. But if you have tumatnina in your sujood, then all seven parts will definitely rest on the ground properly. They will touch the ground properly. حدثنا مسلم بن إبراهيم قال حدثنا شعبة عن عمر عن طاووس عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أمرنا We were commanded Now in the words of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم himself the hadith that we have been instructed obviously by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala an nasjuda that we must prostrate ala sab'ati a'zum on seven bones wala nakuffa thawban wala sha'run and that we must not gather up our clothes nor hair meaning in the salah حدثنا آدم حدثنا إسرائيل عن أبي إسحاق عن عبد الله بن يزيد الخطمي حدثنا البراء بن عازب وهو غير كذوب قال كنا نصلي خلف النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم براء بن عازب he said that we were praying behind the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فإذا قال سمع الله لمن حمده then when he said سمع الله لمن حمده meaning when he was getting up from Rukur when he got up from Rukur after that لم يحني أحد منا none of us would bend ظَهْرَهُ His back. Why would a person bend his back on getting up from rukur? Why? In order to go down into sajda. Okay? Meaning he got up from rukur, he's standing. And now what's the next step? Go down into sajda. So they said, when we would be praying behind the Prophet ﷺ, none of us would bend his back, meaning in order to go down into sajda, hatta until yada' al-Nabi ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ yada', meaning he placed, from wada' to put down, until he placed jabhatahu, his forehead ala al-ad on the ground. Meaning when he would go down into sajda, his forehead would be touching the ground, then we would go down into sajda. Not that we would see the Prophet ﷺ bending a little bit and we would be in sajda before he was. No. He would go completely in prostration and then we would begin our prostration. Okay? So this also teaches us how we should follow the imam. Now, this hadith also clarifies what? That the forehead 
must touch the ground when in sajda bab as-sujud ala al-anf doing sajda on the nose yesterday when we covered the hadith about the fadl of sujud i mentioned to you that the athar of sujud are what they include the nose also but in these ahadith we see that the nose is not mentioned seven bones or seven parts of the body they don't include the nose so where do we get this from from other ahadith as-sujudi ala al-anf meaning the nose should also be placed on the ground when a person is doing sajda حدثنا معل بن أسد قال حدثنا وهيب عن عبد الله بن طاووس عن أبيه عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم he said that the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said أمرت أن أسجد he said I have been commanded to prostrate على سبعة أعظم on seven bones I have been commanded to prostrate on seven bones what are they على الجبهة on the forehead and when he said on the forehead wa ashara biyadihi and he pointed with his hand ala anfihi to his nose so he didn't say that we should also do sajda on the nose but he just pointed with his finger okay with his hand that yes the nose also wal yadaini and the two hands wal rukbataini and the two knees wa atraf al qadamaini and the edges of both the feet meaning the toes wala nakfit al thiyaba was sha'r and that we should not gather up our clothes nor our uh, hair meaning in the salah now why is it that the nose was not mentioned the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam just pointed with his hand why because if you think about it the nose and the forehead i mean they're connected right they're connected the bone of the forehead you see that at the bottom of it the nose begins it's understood it doesn't need to be mentioned separately and besides if you think about it your nose i mean it's protruding from your face okay compared to your forehead okay so when you are going to place your forehead on the ground obviously the nose is going to touch It's not possible that a person puts his forehead flat on the ground and the nose will not touch. Not possible. Okay? So this is why the nose was not mentioned separately. Bab as-sujudi ala anfi was sujudi ala teen. Prostrating on the nose was sujudi ala teen. And prostrating on mud. Meaning even when the ground is wet and muddy, and you're prostrating your nose will still touch the ground it must touch the ground so basically mam bukhari is emphasizing over here he's clarifying over here that just because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not say nose doesn't mean that the nose is excluded he's emphasizing he's clarifying over here and as if he's emphasizing that even if the ground is wet and it's muddy you still have to place your nose on the ground the nose must touch and you know what clean is what is clean clay wet mud okay when it's wet hadathna musa qala hadathna hammam an yahya an abi salamata qala he said intalaqtu he said i went ila abi sa'id al khudri he said i went to abu sa'id al khudri who was he a sahabi he said i went to abu sa'id al khudri faqultu so i said ala takhruju bina won't you come out with us ila an nakhli 
to the palm trees and obviously where are the palm trees? In an orchard. Right? Meaning, yes, you will find a random palm tree here, there in the desert, maybe two or three together. But palm trees, when that is said, it's understood that it's going to be an orchard where there will be many trees. And why is it that people would go to orchards? Think about it. Okay, enjoy the scenery. What else? Shade. Okay. So you can say it's it was a place where people would hang out. Okay. Because there are trees over there, so there will be shade. And the wind, when it will blow, it will be nice and cool. So this is a place where people would sit and, and speak to one another, spend their time, eat, you know, drink their water, whatever it, it, it was. So he said, why don't you come out with us to the date palms? We will talk. We will chat. Let's go there and talk. فَخَرَجَ So he came. He came out, meaning he went along with them. How beautiful. He doesn't say, oh, it's going to waste my time. Or, why, why should I do something like this? It doesn't befit me. No. He went out with them. Because there is no harm in sitting together and having useful Beneficial conversations. Right? So, نَتَحَدَّثْ فَخَرَجَ فَقَالَ So he said, قُلْتُ I said, حَدِّثْنِي Tell me مَا سَمِعْتَ مِنَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ Please tell me about what you have heard from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم في ليلة القدر About ليلة القدر Meaning, not just any hadith, but I want to know something specific. You know, something that the Prophet ﷺ has said about Laylatul Qadr. I want to know. I'm interested. Qala, he said, so Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he said, اِعْتَكَفَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ That once the Prophet ﷺ, he اِعْتَكَفَ What does that mean? He did اِعْتِكَاف. When عَشْرَ تَنْ الْأُوَلْ أُوَلْ What does that mean? It's from awwal. First. So meaning the first ten days and nights min Ramadan of Ramadan. So one year the Prophet ﷺ he did i'tikaf the first ten days and nights of the month of Ramadan. Wa'tikafna ma'hu and we also did i'tikaf with him. Fa'atahu Jibril. So Jibril came to him. Fa'qala and he said, Inna indeed alladhi that which tatrubu what you are seeking, and what is it that the Prophet ﷺ was seeking? Laylatul Qadr because that is the purpose of i'tikaf. Right? So that which you are seeking is amamak. Amam. What does amam mean? Before, in front of. Meaning it's ahead of you. It's not in these first ten nights. It's not like you missed it. No, it's ahead of you. It's going to come. فَاعْتَكَفَ So the Prophet ﷺ, he did i'tikaf al-ashra, the ten nights. Which ones? Al-awsat. Awsat. What does it mean? The middle ones. فَاعْتَكَفْنَا مَعَهُ So we also did i'tikaf with him. فَأَتَاهُ جِبْرِيلُ So Jibreel came to him. فَقَالَ So he said, إِنَّ الَّذِي تَطْلُبُ أَمَامَكَ What you're seeking is still ahead of you. You haven't reached it yet. Laylatul Qadr has not passed yet. فَقَامَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ خَطِيبًا So the Prophet ﷺ stood خَطِيبًا as a خَطِيب meaning in order to address the people. When صَبِيحَةَ Sabiha, what does it mean? From Subh, morning. In the morning of Ishrina, the 20th min Ramadan, of Ramadan. So after the middle 10 days were over, 
And Jibreel came and said, Laylatul Qadr is not here yet. It's going to come. So the Prophet ﷺ stood in order to give the khutbah on the 20th morning, min Ramadan of Ramadan, faqala, so he said, man kana i'takafa, whoever was i'takafa, who was doing i'takaf, ma'an Nabi wasallam with the Prophet ﷺ, what should he do? Falyarji' He should return. Why? Because the people thought, okay, we've done our i'takaf, it's over now. So they went. When the 10 nights were over, middle 10 nights, they said i'takaf over, so they went. So the Prophet ﷺ said that no, whoever was doing i'takaf should return. فَإِنِّي أُرِيتُ For indeed I was shown لَيْلَةَ الْقَدْرِ The night of decree. وَإِنِّي نُسِيتُهَا And I was made to forget it. Meaning which exact night it was, I don't know. But I have been informed about the لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ The exact night, I don't know. وَإِن I don't remember. وَإِنَّهَا فِي الْعَشْرِ الْأَوَاخِرِ فِي وِتْرٍ And indeed it is in the last ten nights في وِتْر In the odd ones. So which ones? The 21st, 23rd, 25th, 27th, or the 29th. And he said, indeed, I saw. And obviously, he was made to see this in what? In his dream. That I saw, كَأَنِّي as if I asjudu, I was prostrating فِيطِينٍ وَمَاءٍ In mud and water. He said, this is what I remember. So Jibreel came and told him, it's coming. And at the same time, the Prophet ﷺ had a dream that he witnessed the night of Qadr. Which night it was, he didn't remember. He forgot when he woke up. He forgot. But there's one thing that he remembered about the Laylatul Qadr. What? That he was prostrating in mud and water. Okay. So this is what he told the companions. So Abu Sa'id said that the people returned. Obviously it's understood. People returned to do irtikaf and the irtikaf continued. Now the third, so the uh, last ten nights of the month of Ramadan. وَكَانَ السَّقْفُ الْمَسْجِدِ Abu Sa'id said that the saqf, what is saqf? Ceiling, the roof. The roof of the masjid was made of jarid and nakhl. What is jarid? Branches. It was made of branches of the date palm. Now, why is he saying that? Branches of date palm, what does it mean? That the roof was not waterproof. If it rained, definitely the water would come through. Hmm? He said, and وَمَا نَرَى فِي السَّمَاءِ شَيْئًا And we did not see anything in the sky. Anything in the sky, meaning no overcast. There were no clouds. There was nothing, you know, special like we didn't feel that it was going to rain. It was a clear sky. So what happened one night of the last ten nights of Ramadan? فَجَاءَتْ قَزْعَةٌ That a small cloud came. قَزْعَ Small cloud. All of a sudden it came from nowhere. فَأُمْطِرْنَا And we were rained on. It rained on us. فَصَلَّى بِنَا النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ And the Prophet ﷺ prayed with us, حَتَّى رَأَيْتُ Until I saw أَثَرَ الطِّينِ وَالْمَاءِ The traces of طين, of mud and water, عَلَى جَبْهَةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ On the forehead of the Prophet ﷺ, وَأَرْنَبَتِهِ And the tip of his nose. أَرْنَبَ is what? Tip of the nose. And this was tasdiq, the confirmation of ru'yahu, of his dream. So he said that really this happened. That when the Laylatul Qadr came, how is it that we recognize that it was Laylatul Qadr? The Prophet ﷺ told us, what I remember about that night from my dream is that I was doing sajda on mud and water. And he said one night it happened. What? That nothing in the sky, clear sky, all of a sudden cloud came, rained on us, 
the roof was made of branches so the water came through and the floor the ground it became wet so wet that when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was praying he was doing sajda his forehead and the tip of his nose were smeared with mud so this is what imam bukhari is is extracting the lesson from that you have to put your nose on the ground in sajda even if it is muddy even if it is muddy now sometimes it happens that if we're doing sajda on a nice clean carpet okay we will put our nose and our forehead on the ground but let's say we're praying outside somewhere and there's grass or something then in that case what do we do sometimes hmm we just put the tip of the forehead on the ground and our nose is bent upwards uh, so basically our head is bent upwards that is not correct sajda the correct sajda is that the face should be on the ground and that is only possible if the forehead is flat and the nose the tip of the nose is also touching all right and what if you are in a situation like this where it's muddy or there's grass so what should you do at the time of sajda so before you pray first of all if it bothers you put something okay put something and let's say you didn't realize before and now the mud is really getting to you let's say you have a dust allergy or something or you have a serious skin condition and you feel like your skin might get irritated then in that situation what can you do whatever you know hijab or something you have if it's not much of a movement then you may put it at the place where you're going to do your sajda because remember any kind of movement that is made during salah in order to perform the salah better and more properly that movement is allowed it is permissible even if that movement is not technically part of the prayer Okay, so this is why it would be allowed. Now, uh, what does this tell us about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? The fact that his forehead and his nose had mud on them. About his personality, yeah. his humility, his humility, the fact that he did not mind. his forehead his nose getting wet and muddy for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we learned that some scholars they actually preferred that when a person is performing salah he should not put anything on the ground he should not put anything on the ground why because this helps him become more humble it shows more humility but unfortunately what is it that we make a point of that every time we're praying put a nice soft mat in front of you even if it's going to distract you through your prayer but put it in front of you and if somebody's praying without it on a plain carpet on a plain sheet still people will come and put that mat in front of them as if praying on a mat is fard who said it is fard to pray on the mat which mat did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam pray on in the masjid of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam which mats were there no mats they prayed on the ground on pebbles and this adds to humility i remember once i found out that one of the scholars every time you know that they're uh, they're they're out somewhere and they're praying you know together with other people uh, they refuse to put any mats on the ground they say no there's no need we're going to pray on the bare ground and i thought this was a bit of an extreme until i came across these ahadith which show to us that that is actually better All right that is actually better because it makes you really feel small and it It makes you more humble, right? So in your house also, if the floor is clean, if the carpet is clean, 
there is no need to put a separate mat. It's okay. Put your head where people place their feet. There is no harm. Put it and it will humble you. Definitely it will. But we have gone to such an extreme on the other hand that even when people are folding the mat, they say don't fold it in a way that the part of the feet will touch the part of the head. Really, in certain cultures, it's almost forbidden to fold the prayer mat like that. I remember I was folding it that way once, you know, put, putting the part of the feet where the part part of the head are, so joining them together. And I was told, don't do it this way. Fold it lengthwise. Fold it lengthwise. Why? Who said you have to do that? It's considered like a ritual, a part of adab for the prayer mat. Who said the prayer mat was sacred? What's the dalil for that? Hmm? What is necessary is that we follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. If he didn't find uh, you know, any problem in putting his forehead and his nose on wet mud, why should we have an issue putting it on carpet or on a tiled floor? It's another thing that it bothers you. It's cold and it hurts you. That's different. But otherwise, pray wherever you are. The entire earth is a place of sajda. If it's clean, you can pray there. The only condition is that it should be Clean. That's the only condition. What else do we learn from this hadith? Any other lesson? Prayer mat? Okay. And you see, every place should be considered clean unless you have a strong reason to believe that it is not clean. You should not have shak all the time. That, oh, what if a dog passed by and urinated over here? And what if you know, when I was outside, I stepped on it and I came back and I put my shoes on the mat and then I stepped on that mat, you know, with my socks and I walked with those socks on my living room carpet. So what if the traces of it are on my living room carpet? So this is why I should not pray on it. I should put a mat. No, don't think too deep. Okay? Things should be considered clean. Everything is clean unless there is a strong reason to believe that it is najis. And what is a strong reason to believe? That you saw with your own eyes. You saw with your own eyes. You see the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ in Bukhari only, earlier, we read the hadith that at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there were dogs that would come to the masjid and sleep there. And, you know, they would go in the masjid and go out, you know, run through the masjid, literally, and also sleep there. And they would urinate there also. Obviously, dogs do that. Because there were so many dogs in Medina. So many of them. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ ordered twice to kill the dogs. Why? Because the population was getting out of hand. Out of hand. And they were becoming like a nuisance for the people, a source of danger for the people. So because the masjid was a place where there was a roof, so when it was hot, obviously animals seek shelter. So they would go in the masjid and even sleep there. And obviously if they're sleeping there, they would even urinate there. But what was the way of the Prophet ﷺ? Remember when the Bedouin man came and he urinated in the masjid? What did the Prophet ﷺ do? When he saw it, he poured water on it. So if you see najasa with your own eyes, if you see it, then there is a reason and you can put a, you know, a prayer mat or something. But just because you think that, oh, there are children in this house, so there must be urine stains all over the floor. So this is why don't pray on their carpet. Definitely, you know, pray on a mat. No. Unless you have been told or you saw or you smell, you see a, a stain or something, then you have a reason to believe that it's dirty. Otherwise, you should consider it to be clean. You understand? Okay. What else do we learn from this hadith? 
Look at the patience and the persistence of the Prophet ﷺ and his companions and their eagerness that they didn't give up. Hmm? Imagine, has anyone done irtikaf? Is it easy leaving your home and your routine and everything for 10 days straight? Staying in the masjid? Why isn't it that uh, you have not done it yet? Those of us who haven't done it, why is it that we haven't done it yet? Hmm? Okay, on the one hand, fear of discomfort, but on the other hand, I mean, you have so many family obligations. Okay, and you know that if you leave, other people have to take that burden. So for example, if the husband goes for irtikaf, uh, you know, the, the wife has to bear the burden, you know, all by herself of looking after the children. She says, it's okay, it's only 10 days Ramadan. Allahu alam whether you'll get this opportunity again or not. So it's okay. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take care of it. You go do irtikaf. But at the same time, he's worried. He's missing his children. He's missing his TV. Right? He's missing so many things. He's missing his fresh iftar and, you know, suhoor and everything. It's difficult to do irtikaf. But imagine the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba, to do irtikaf 10 nights. And then they're told, not here yet. It's still coming. So 10 more nights. And then they're told, you have to try once again. If this happened with us, that we do something for 10 days, and then we're told, no, you have to do it again. What would our reaction be? I'm not doing it anymore. You should have told me. What kind of a mistake is this? Right? Why didn't you inform me? Don't you realize what sacrifice I'm making over here? And what effort I'm putting over here? Why didn't you tell me from before? But there's no anger or frustration on the part of the Prophet ﷺ or his companions. Because the eyes were focused on what? On the prize. On the goal. And when you're focused on the goal, then whatever time you're spending or whatever effort you're putting or whatever money you're spending, everything becomes secondary. Right? When your eyes are focused on the prize, then doing sabr becomes easy. It becomes easy. And this is a lesson for us also. That when you want something really sincerely, then put in the due effort. You try once, if it doesn't work out, never mind, try again. If it doesn't work out, never mind, try again. At least give three chances. At least, before giving up. But our problem is that we don't even complete something for the first time that we give up. So persistence is very important. So basically the whole Ramadan. And masjid itself uh, is not that comfortable. I mean, any place that is not your home will not be comfortable. Bab aqdi thiyabi wa shaddiha. Aqdi thiyabi. What does aqd mean? To tie a knot. Okay, so to tie up a thiyab, the clothes. Wa shaddiha. And shaddiha, tightening them, meaning wrapping them around. Okay? So tying them up, or wrapping them around oneself when obviously during the prayer وَمَنْ ضَمَّ إِلَيْهِ ضَمَّ means to join together okay so ضَمَّ meaning he gathered up so that they're joined with his body إِلَيْهِ to himself ثَوْبَهُ his clothes so the first is he tied them up meaning around his body so for example you know a shawl so for example if your hijab keeps falling Okay, so you take one side of it to the other and you just tie up the two ends. Okay? You understand? Or for example, a person has a shawl that they're wearing on the upper body. For example, a man is. 
and he's like, this is all too new to me. For example, in in uh, um, Hajj, and he says that I I can't manage this anymore. It keeps falling. So during the prayer, he just ties up the two ends, okay, so that they don't fall off. Or washadiha, he wraps them around himself tightly, okay. Or dhamma ilayhi thawbahu, he gathers his garments around himself, okay. Why? إِذَا خَافَ When he fears on that, then كَشِفَ عَوْرَتُهُ That his aura will be exposed. It will become uncovered. Meaning if there is a need to wrap up the clothes, gather them up, tie them up, tuck them, fold them during the salah in order to cover the body properly, then there is no harm. It is permissible. A person may do this before the prayer, meaning for the purpose of prayer, and he may also do this during the prayer, if his body is being exposed. So for example, you're praying salah, okay, and you feel like your hijab keeps falling off. Okay? So during the salah, if you take one end and quickly just you know wrap it up or tightly uh, tie it up, you know, with, without making much movement, is this permissible? Yes, because you have to perform salah in a way that your head doesn't keep getting exposed. Okay, and for a man also, so that his body is not exposed. So this may be done before the prayer. Why? For the purpose of prayer. And secondly, it may also be done during the prayer. حدثنا محمد بن كثير قال أخبرنا سفيان عن أبي حازم عن سهل بن سعد قال كان الناس يصلون مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. The people used to pray with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم وهم قاعدوا أزرهم. And they used to, sorry, وَهُمْ عَاقِدُوا أُزْرِهِمْ And they used to tie up, عَاقِدُوا This is actually عَاقِدُونَ Ones who do عَقْد Meaning they would tie up أُزْرِهِمْ Their izar. What is izar? Lower garment. So they would tie them up, okay, مِنَ الصِّغَر Because of their shortness. Their izar were so short that they would have to tie them up عَلَى رِقَابِهِمْ Around their necks. We have read this matter earlier in the clothing of the musalli, libas of the musalli, the, the abuab concerning that. And in that we learned that the, some people at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they were suffering from so much poverty that all they possessed was just one garment. Only one garment with which they would you know, cover their uh, low, lower part of the body. Basically their satr. But the thing is that when a person is performing the prayer, then his, a man, his shoulders have to be covered. Now, if they, uh, you know, wore it in such a way that their shoulders would be covered, uh, with that cloth, because that cloth was not long enough, if they would go down into rukur, into sajda, and if by accident a part of it fell off, then their entire body would get exposed. So, some people, what they would do is that they would tie it, you know, very strategically around their necks, so that their shoulders would be covered and at the same time, you know, their aura, whatever part had to be covered, would be covered. But at the same time, there was a risk that their body might get exposed. So, فَقِيلَ لِلنِّسَائِ So the women were told, and the women, obviously, they, they would be praying behind the men. So they were told, لَا تَرْفَعْنَ رُؤُوسَكُنَّ Do not raise your heads حَتَّى يَسْتَوِيَ الرِّجَالُ جُلُوسًا Until the men become straight sitting. Meaning when they have sat up properly, then you should get up. Because if they got up before the men had sat up properly, then there was a risk that you know the women might end up seeing the men 
you know, a part of their body that should be covered. So this hadith shows to us that tying up the garment, tucking it, folding it for a genuine reason in order to perfect the prayer, in order to perform the salah properly, this is permissible. Why is Imam Bukhari mentioning this over here? What has this got to do with tajda? You see, previously we learned in, in the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said we have been commanded to perform sajda on seven and that we must not gather up our clothes nor our hair. Now what it means by gathering up the clothes is uh, tucking them, you know, uh, basically gathering them together in order to prevent them from falling. In order to prevent them from falling when a, when a person goes down into sajda. Okay? Now many times it happens that when you go down into sajda, your hijab, it rolls down. Okay? Now, alhamdulillah, you're wearing something under your hijab or you know, you, you're wearing an abaya, your body will not be exposed. Maybe part, part of your hair, hair might get exposed, but your body will not get, get exposed. But imagine a person who's wearing a shawl around his upper body. Okay? When a person would go down into sajda, what would happen sometimes that shawl would also come down. You understand? It would also come down. Now, some people, what they would do is that they would gather up their shawl in such a way that it would not fall down. Why is it that they did not want it to fall down on the floor, on the ground? Hmm? Okay, so that their body is not exposed. But what if a person is wearing a separate lower garment? Then there's no need. Right? Even if the side of the body get exposed, there's no harm because the Prophet ﷺ, when he went into sajda, remember, he would keep his arms away from the side of the body such that the whiteness of the armpits would show. Which means that it's not a problem for a man if that happens. So, why else? Yes, so that the clothes won't touch the ground. Why is it that you don't want your clothes to touch the ground? Because they might get dirty. Hmm? Or because my clothes touching the ground? No. This is takabur. This is istikbab. This is pride. So this is the reason why the people were forbidden from gathering up their clothes such that the clothes don't touch the ground. They don't fall to the ground. Because it resembles an arrogant person. The behavior of an arrogant person. When a person goes into sajda, his body, his head, you know, is touching the ground. So his hair should fall and his clothes should fall. Everything should fall before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see what I mean? Everything must humble itself before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't hold anything back. Don't hold anything back. The only reason why you should hold your clothes back is if your aura is getting exposed. That is a different situation. But otherwise, let your hair fall. Let your clothes fall. No big deal. Let your hijab get ruined. You know, what? what's the problem here? Let everything fall before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, uh, with regards to the hair also, in that hadith we learned that a person must not gather up the hair, and that is the next bab. لا يكف شعرا That a person who is praying, he must not gather up the hair. When? Before the prayer? During the prayer? And also otherwise. Meaning, when a person goes into sajda, he should let his hair prostrate along with him. Okay? Now, uh, when a person has long hair, men, women, both, 
what happens? Generally people tie them up. Why? Because it bothers them when it comes on their face. But when it comes to styling them, then there's no harm. We let them loose. We let them open. But if the hair is touching the ground, oh my, why should my hair touch the ground? It should not. So again, this resembles an arrogant person that just because a person is doing sajda, he ties up the hair so that the hair does not touch the ground. This is not permissible. This is not correct. A person must let his hair fall to the ground also if he has long hair. Okay? And you know that the Prophet ﷺ also, he had long hair just up to where? Hmm? Just like around the ears or or right below. Okay? Remember that other companion who had very long hair? And the Prophet ﷺ said, what a good man he is if only his hair was not long. And as soon as he heard it, what did he do? He cut it. Right? So men's hair, it may be long, but not extremely long, such that they would resemble the hair of a woman. Okay? But it's natural that when a person will go into sajda, the hair will slightly fall off from the sides. And a person might be annoyed by that, and you might tie it up, not wanting his hair to get muddy or touch the floor. So, لا يكف شعرًا. What's the evidence? حدثنا أبو النعمان قال حدثنا حماد وهو ابن زيد عن عمرو بن دينار عن طاووس عن ابن عباس قال he said أمر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أن يسجد على سبعة أعظم. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was commanded that he should prostrate on seven bones. ولا يكف ثوبه ولا شعره. And that he should not gather up his clothes or his hair. Now, with regards to the clothes, we understood. What does it mean by gathering up the hair? Gathering up the hair means tying them together in a bun. Okay, tying them up such that they are in a bun. Now, this is something that is not allowed before entering the salah, meaning for the purpose of salah, that a person ties up his hair. Nor is it permissible to do during the salah. Okay. Now, even otherwise. In general, tying up the hair in such a way that there is a bun at the back, either at the top of the head or high up on the head, this is something that is not permissible, neither for men nor for women. In a hadith we learned, which is in Muslim, that Abdullah bin Abbas, he reported that he saw Abdullah bin Harith performing the salah. And his hair was tied behind his head, so in, in a bun. So Abdullah bin Abbas, he stood up, and he unfolded his hair. Now when Abdullah bin Harith, he finished his prayer, he said to Abdullah bin Abbas, why is it that you touched my head? Why did you touch my hair? Why did you touch my head? So Ibn Abbas said, the man who observes prayer with hair tied up like that is like the one who prays with his hands tied behind. You're, you're tying up your hands behind your back. That you're not letting them fall to the ground. You're not touching the ground you know, with your hands. And likewise, you tie up your hair behind your head so you don't let them fall. No. Everything of yours must lie prostrate before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the salah. In another hadith which is much more clear, which is a hadith in Abu Dawud, that Sa'id ibn Abu Sa'id al-Maqburi, he reported on the authority of his father that he saw Abu Rafir, the freed slave of the Prophet sallallahu so Abu Rafir, the freed slave of the Prophet ﷺ, he passed by Hassan bin Ali. When Hassan bin Ali was performing the prayer. And Hassan bin Ali had tied the uh, back knot of his hair. So basically he had tied up his hair in a knot, in a bun, behind his head. So what happened? Abu Rafir, he came and he opened up his hair. 
So Hassan turned to him with anger. And Abu Rafi' said to him, Concentrate on your prayer and do not be angry. I heard the Messenger of Allah وسلم, say, This is the seat of the devil. Meaning, the bun at the back of the head, what is it? The seat of the devil. So, with with this regard, you know, men should be careful. And men, most of them don't have long hair. Okay? But women, they should be more careful because this ruling is general, which applies to both men and women. Now, does it mean that you cannot make a bun? You cannot tie your hair in that way? The thing is that when a person ties up their hair in a bun behind the head, such that it is either high up or even medium height, okay, behind the head, then what happens is that literally it resembles what? The hump of the camel that the Prophet ﷺ warned us against. Right? That we should not resemble that. And from this hadith, we see that it's the seat of the devil. So shaitan rides it. He's taking a ride on your head. He's taking a ride on you. Shaykh bin Uthaymeen, he was asked that what is the ruling on a woman gathering her hair behind her head, on top of her head? He said, if the hair is gathered up on top of the head, this is regarded by the scholars as being included in the prohibition or warning that was narrated from the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith that there are two types of people of hell, people of hell whom I have not seen. And one amongst them was who? Women who are clothed yet naked, astray, and leading others astray with their heads like the humps of camels, leading to one side. So he said that if the hair is on top of the head, it is not allowed. But if it is at the nape of the neck, nape of the neck, what is the nape of the neck? What is the nape of the neck? The back part of your neck. Okay? So if the hair is tied over there, whether in a bun or a ponytail or whatever, then there is nothing wrong with it. Unless the woman is going out to the marketplace. Okay? In which, you know, that bun is too obvious. Okay? Meaning she's going out basically in front of men. So this would be a kind of tabarruj because it can be noticed through the abaya. It can be noticed through the hijab. So you understand? You can tie your hair behind your head. No. Not for zina. Not for zina. Not for salah. Not for convenience. Behind your head. You understand? So touch your hair right now. Okay? And see where your ponytail or your bun is. It should not be behind the head. Where should it be? Under. So where? Behind your neck. So on the nape of the neck. And you can tie it however you want. Braid it, make a ponytail, make it into a bun, whatever you'd like. Okay? But even that, be careful. Because some women, mashallah, hair is very thick, very long. So even if they make a ponytail or a bun behind their neck, it shows, you know, through their hijab. So she should be careful about that because this is a form of tabarruj. He was asked that if at home a woman wishes to tie up her hair on top of her head for convenience, you know, like otherwise the hair will be on her face and sometimes it happens that the hair is very curly and the only way that you can get them all together in one place is that if you just make a bun on top of your head. So, okay, if you're outside, you know, you're wearing your hijab, your hair is out of your face. But at home, when you're doing your dishes or you're working at, you know, around your house, if your hair keeps coming on your face... It bothers people, right? So he said that if it is for a reason, 
that for convenience around her house she is doing it you know for ease then there is no harm but she should not do this for the purpose of zina why because then she is resembling the women who have been described as the women of hellfire or she is making a seat for the devil okay so it's if it's for the sake of convenience there is no harm but for salah she cannot have that bun on top of her head or behind her head clear so this matter is more serious than we ever thought hmm that we thought oh it's just a matter of zina it's so normal you know it's everybody does it so it doesn't even you know stand out anymore but what do we learn from here that in salah it is not permissible so much so that the companions when they saw other companions doing this what did they do they came and you know untied their hair they didn't tolerate it at all this is what nahi anil munkar right and what and what did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say concerning munkar that if you see munkar then stop it with your own hand change it with your own hand and this is what they did so they considered this as munkar okay so during the salah especially not permissible bab la yakuffu thawbahu fi salah not gathering up one's garments during the prayer حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا أبو عوانة عن عمر عن طاووس عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أمرت أن أسجد على سبعة لا أكف شعرا ولا ثوبا So over here again Imam Bukhari is using the same hadith but he is uh, bringing a separate bab to further clarify that in general clothes must not be gathered up in salah So basically gathering up the clothes is in two ways First of all before the salah and secondly during the salah before the salah imagine gathering up the clothes such that they're tight now if they're tight around you how can you move easily hmm? how can you move easily so sometimes what women do is that they wear a big shawl around their heads okay and they wrap it wrap it wrap it and they're wearing short sleeves underneath so that the shawl is covering their arms but what happens when they have to do takbir they cannot because if they do the takbir their arms will show or there there isn't enough room to lift up the arms so this kind of wrapping around the clothes should be avoided that will restrict your movement in the prayer it should not restrict your movement in the prayer all right and secondly this should be avoided during the prayer also how that a person is constantly gathering up their you know abaya or their loose a dress or their skirt constantly wrapping it up gathering it why because they're distracted from the prayer wear comfortable clothes and during the prayer if your clothes spread out a little bit as long as it's not bothering anybody and it's not showing your body no big deal let it be let it be and this shows to us that in general also a person must not wear such clothes for salah which are tight Okay, because if the clothes are tightly wrapped up around the body, then what happens? The body is exposed, right? So uh, they should not be stitched in that way, nor should they be wrapped up in that way. Clothing should be loose. Bab at tasbihi wa du'a if it's sujud. Now notice that all of these abwaab Imam Bukhari mentions with sajda, with sujud. Why? Because you cannot do sujud properly if your clothes are not right. If they're too tight, then what are you concerned about? My ankles are showing. Hmm? Or if they're too short, my ankles are showing. Right? Or 
my shirt is lifting up, my back is showing, or my thighs are being, even though they're covered, they're too exposed. Hmm? So you cannot do sajda properly, comfortably, for long, unless your clothes are proper. Bab at-tasbihi wa dua if it's sujood. Because you see in sajda you have to do tasbih and dua. And in order to tasbih and dua, you have to spend a little bit of time. How can you spend some time and be comfortable and relaxed if you're constantly worried about your feet and your ankles and your arms and your back? You cannot concentrate. So at tasbih, doing tasbih with dua and making dua fit sujood during sajda. We read this earlier with regards to rukur. That in rukur, what should be done? Tasbih and dua. Here we see that Sujood also. Tasbih and dua should be combined together. Both should be done. And this is better. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ did that. Haddathana Musaddad qala haddathana Yahya an Sufyan qala haddathani Mansur an Muslim an Masruq an Aishata radiyallahu anha anha qalat that she said kana nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wasallam that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam yukthiru yukthiru from kathra abundantly he would do a lot. And yaqul that he would say. Meaning he would say a lot fi ruku'ihi, in his ruku' wa sujudihi, and his sujud. What would he say a lot in his ruku' and sujud? Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik, Allahumma ghfirli. Glorified are you, O Allah, our Lord, and with your praise, O Allah, forgive me. So he would say this a lot. Aisha radhiallahu anha said, يَتَأَوَّلُ الْقُرْآنِ He would be implementing, following the Qur'an. يَتَأَوَّلُ What's the word? What's the main masdar? يَتَأَوَّلُ is from what? What word comes to your mind? Hmm? أَوَّلْ تَأْوِيلْ Good. What does تَأْوِيلْ mean? Interpretation. Right? Actualization. So it is first of all to interpret. It's basically done in two ways. Okay? Ta'wil is from awwal. Awwal is first. And first is the origin. Okay? So ta'wil is to take something back to its origin, meaning what its actual intent is. What does this mean? This is why the word ta'wil is also used for tafsir, interpretation. Whether it's correct or not, that's a different story. Okay? So ta'wil also is used for interpretation. Now, ta'wil is done in two ways. First of all, through qawl, and secondly, through fair. Through qawl, in that you explain what something means. Okay? You explain what something means. So for instance, in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ That when you recite the Qur'an, then you must seek refuge with Allah against shaitan who is accursed. Now, someone explains with words that you should seek refuge with Allah before beginning. So what it means by وَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ is that when you intend to recite. Okay? When you intend to recite. Now in the ayah it doesn't say when you intend to recite the Qur'an, then seek refuge with Allah. It just says, when you recite the Qur'an. But the explanation of this is what? That when you intend to recite, 
then you seek refuge with Allah. So you understand this is ta'wil, tafsir, how? Through words. You're taught, you're, exp- you're given the explanation. Second is through action. That you illustrate. You illustrate with action. You do what has been commanded. What has been instructed. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she said that when he would say this in his ruku' and sujood, he was doing ta'wil of the Qur'an. He was doing ta'wil of the Qur'an. How? Through words or through his actions? Through his actions. So basically it means that he was implementing the Qur'an. He was illustrating the command that is in the Qur'an. Which command was he illustrating? فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْهُ Hmm? That when the fath comes, when the when when the victory comes, the mission is complete. Then what should you do? Fasabbih bihamdi rabbik. Do tasbih of you, of your Lord with His hamd, and wastaghfirhu and seek forgiveness from Him. So He was given this command. So the Prophet ﷺ he did the wheel of this command. How? That he implemented it. He acted upon it. Where? In his salah. When? During rukur. And during sujood, that he combined between tasbih and istighfar. Tasbih hummed together and istighfar. So yata awwalul Quran. Look at the amr of the Prophet ﷺ. Allah gave a command and he implemented it. Hmm? Now many times it happens that we learn about a command and the ta'wil is present in the books. But from the books that ta'wil must also come where? In the actions. Then the ta'wil is complete. Ta'wil is not just explanation that is written, that is said, that is shared, that is taught, that is learnt, that a person is tested on. No. Ta'wil is also that which is done in the actions. If it's just on paper, that is half. Complete ta'wil is when the actions are included. So, in this we see that the Prophet ﷺ did tasbih and he also did istighfar. Okay, now what does this teach us? That in sujood, what should we do? Exactly the same thing. We should follow the Prophet ﷺ because whatever he said, however he implemented the Quran, that is really the best way, right? So, what are some of the tasbihat that we can say in sujood? One is this. Another one. Okay, Subuhun Qudusun Rabbul Malaikati Warruh. This is tasbih, which can be done both in rukur and sujood. What else may be said? Subhana dil jabarut wal malakut wal kibriyai wal azama. This is also tasbih. Okay. What else? Good, mashallah. Barakallahu fi ilmik. And also simple, subhana rabbi al-a'la. Okay. Subhana rabbi al-a'la. But that is just tasbih. If you see, this dhikr is very jamir. In the sense that there is tasbih, hamd, along with istighfar. So you were provided the sheet that also had du'as for sujood, for prostration. And what are they? If you could take them out, we'll go over them so that inshallah you can also memorize them. First of all, in a hadith in Sahih Muslim, Subhanu Rabbi Al-A'la Glory be to my Lord the Most High. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Sabbihisma Rabbikal A'la. So what should you say? Subhanu Rabbi Al-A'la. In Sunan Abi Dawood, we learn Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la wa bihamdihi. Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la wa bihamdihi. Tasbih and hamd together. 
In Sunan An-Nasai, we learn, Allahumma ghfirli ma asrartu wa ma a'lantu. Oh Allah, forgive me for what I have concealed and what I have done openly. All my sins, the sins that only you know about and the sins that others know about, forgive all of them. In Sahih Muslim, Subbuhun Quddusun Rabbul Malaikati Warruh. You are the most glorious, the most pure, Lord of the angels and the spirit. In Sahih Muslim, Subhanaka wa bihamdika la ilaha illa anta. Glory be to you, O Allah, and all praise be to you. There is no true deity except you. In Sahih Muslim, Subhanaka Rabbi wa bihamdik Allahumma ghfirli. Glory be to you, my Lord, and all praise be to you, O Allah, forgive me. In Sahih Bukhari, Subhanak Allahumma Rabbana wa bihamdik Allahumma ghfirli. Glory be to you, O Allah, our Lord, and all praise be to you, O Allah, forgive me. In Sahih Muslim, Subhanaka wa bihamdika astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka. This also combines between tasbih, hamd, and istighfar. Glory be to you, O Allah, and all praise be to you. I seek your forgiveness and turn in repentance to you. In Sunan Abi Dawood, Subhana Dil Jabarut, Wal Malakut, Wal Kibriya'i, Wal Alamah. Glory be to the possessor of greatness, sovereignty, grandeur, and majesty. In Sahih Muslim, Allahumma ghfirli dhambi kullahu, diqqahu wa jillahu, wa awwalahu wa akhirahu, wa alaniyatahu wa sirrahu. O Allah, forgive me all my sins, small and great, first and last, open and secret. In Sahih Muslim, Allahumma inni a'udhu bi ridaka min sakhatik, wa bi mu'afatika min uqubatik, wa a'udhu bika mink, la uhsi thana'an alayk, anta kama athnayta ala nafsik. O Allah, indeed I seek refuge with your pleasure from your wrath. Meaning, in order to be safe from your wrath, I take protection with what? Your pleasure. Because oh Allah, if you're happy with me, then you will not be angry with me. And with your forgiveness from your punishment, in order to be saved from your punishment, I run to your forgiveness. And I seek refuge with you from you. This basically means there is no protection against you except with you. Who can save me? Who can protect me from you? No one can. I only turn to you for protection and safety. I cannot enumerate your praises. I cannot praise you enough. You are as you have praised yourself. In Surah Abi Dawood, Allahumma laka sajadtu, wa bika amantu, wa laka aslamtu, sajada wajhi lilladhi khalaqahu, wa sawwarahu, fa ahsanat suratahu, wa shakka sam'ahu, wa basarahu, Tabarakallahu ahsanul khaliqeen. O Allah, before you I prostrate myself, and in you I believe, and to you I submit. My face is prostrated before the one who created it, fashioned it, and gave it hearing and sight. Blessed is Allah, the best of creators. In Sahih Muslim, Allahumma laka sajadtu, wa bika amantu, wa laka aslamtu, sajada wajhi lilladhi khalaqahu, wa sawwarahu, wa shakka sam'ahu, wa basarahu, tabarakallahu ahsanul khaliqeen. O Allah, before you I prostrate myself, and in you I believe, and to you I submit. My face is prostrated before the one who created it, and brought forth its hearing and its sight. Blessed is Allah the best of creators. And in Sahih Muslim, we also learn that the Prophet ﷺ read the dua of Nur 
in sajda. Allahumma ja'al fi qalbi nura, wa fi sam'i nura, wa fi basari nura, wa an yamini nura, wa an shimali nura, wa amami nura, wa khalfi nura, wa fawqi nura, wa tahti nura, wa ja'alli nura. O Allah, place light in my heart, light in my hearing, light in my sight, light on my right, light on my left, light in front of me, light behind me, light above me, light below me, and make for me light. So these are all the different du'as that the Prophet ﷺ used to make in sajda. And if you think about it, all of them, they combine between, they, they either have istighfar or they combine between tasbih, hamd and istighfar or one of the, or one of them basically. And there's also du'a, which shows to us that a person may make du'a otherwise also, meaning not just for, not just for for forgiveness, but other du'as also in sajda as well as in ruku. So all the musnoon du'as, for example, you can make them in sajda. Alright? Okay, so at-tasbih wa-du'ai fi-sujood. Okay. The next part is about the jalsa. The pausing, the sitting between two sajdas. And inshallah we will cover that in our next class. Because the hadith is long and we won't be able to cover it. We have only two minutes left, so I'll give you your break early. Okay, I know you've been sitting here since morning, you're tired. So go and eat, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.